0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Politicana. This is part two of episode 114. Enjoy.
1: The international race to provide tanks to aid Ukraine. I just thought it was a cool headline. So <laughs> Republican Representative Michael McCall, the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, said on Sunday that the U.S. should send at least one of its M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine to push Germany to allow for its own tanks to help Kiev fight Russia's invasion. McCall believes that if Germany is waiting on our lead, then we should give Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Senator Lindsey Graham echoed McCall by saying, he's tired of this beep show and that the US and Germany should send tanks to Ukraine. World order is at stake. So Germany has become one of the Ukraine's leading weapon suppliers since Russia's invasion began 11 months ago. However, Chancellor Olaf Scholz also has gained a reputation for hesitating to take each new step which has generated impatience among allies. Berlin's perceived foot dragging most recently on the Leopard 2 battle tanks that Kiev has long sought is rooted at least partly in a post-World War II caution, along with present-day worries about a possible escalation in the war. In a press conference between European Council President Charles Michel and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, Michel said that the tanks must be delivered. President Emmanuel Macron of France, was the first country to send these Western-designed armored fighting Leopard tanks to Ukraine two weeks ago, and the United Kingdom has followed France's initiative by sending their tanks to the Ukrainian army as well. So, what are your thoughts on the battle for tanks?
0: It's strange. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Tyler. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I understand the hesitancy, obviously, after what happened after World War II, like you mentioned, Pratik, they don't have a great history of invading Russia. Um, and also, they don't want to see themselves as any sort of conquerors or conquests and that whole thing. So I'm sure that plays a part. But also, you just have less liability when the U.S. leads. You, uh, you always have someone you can blame if anything goes wrong. So I, I think from their perspective, it makes sense. And also, I mean, their relations with Russia, I'm not sure how the how uh, the energy transfer between uh, Russia and Germany is still going at the moment. But I'm sure they don't want to make it worse because at least in some part, they're still relying on Russia, I have to imagine can you guys confirm or deny that
2: i think natural gas flows have i forget if they hit zero or close to it but they like really did crater and i think part of that is just having a warmer winter than was anticipated Hmm. if it was a colder winter i think it would have been very different but um, that is one small thing we can definitely fact check uh, afterwards to double check that but yeah tyler like you said germany has publicly stated that they're not going to take the lead on providing these tanks because of Nazi Germany, uh, you know, 80 years ago. And so I I wonder if, like, once they hit the 100-year anniversary, if they're going to be like, oh, wow, you know, maybe we feel differently about this. Maybe Germany is going to take the lead on something militarily and get over all of the national shame. I don't know that they will, but certainly right now, I mean, funnily enough, I was listening to this NPR interview at my local station this week where they were talking to someone who knew a lot. It was an expert on German politics. And for a long time, still today, like the head political appointee of the German military, that scene is like a career ender. That scene is like when the coalition comes into power and you have someone you really don't like. You send them into that position to oversee the military because it's seen as totally screwing up your political career and just torpedoing people's dreams. (laughs) So I just think it's sort of ironic that like now all of a sudden this is like an important position that people are looking to where over the past couple decades, it's really been seen as like a punishment almost to be in charge of some of the stuff that's being overseen and asked for uh, by the Ukrainians of Germany. So just wanted
0: to add that it's because they're no expertise. longer seen as the enemy, and I think that makes them feel a little bit more comfortable with the fact that they could produce arms and maybe lead in Europe. And also with with Trump, you know, signaling that he might not want to support Europe and the European Union as much militarily, maybe that reinvigorated the interest um, in Germany to start building up their uh, their firepower again. I think you would say- think, but like.
2: They yeah. also say like, oh, we shouldn't rely on the United States. Europe should have but go you know, first. its own security. <laughs> we should do our own, you know, Europe first. Um, and then, of course, whenever something like this happens, they're like, actually, you know, it'd be really nice if the United States yeah. could, could do this for us. So I don't know, just how it goes, you know, Who's your daddy Germany in a couple decades, but <laughs> I do it's, think it's that's, how it is now.
1: That's the weird thing. Even with the Ukraine fight right now, America's done more than any of these other countries to do anything to help them. And these other countries have helped. But the same level of extent that the United States has helped is not like, you can't compare it to these other countries. Sure, we didn't send that many tanks, but we sent them so many other missiles that are much more powerful than tanks. And we've sent them loads and loads of taxpayer money to help them in this fight against Russia. I do think America does a lot. And I think some of these things, like I agree, like some of these countries should do more to like, you know, protect themselves, I feel. Germany is seen as the face of the European Union. The European Union is primarily protected and financed by the United States, but Germany is still seen as the face of the European Union. And they're the main decision makers when it deals with many of the decisions that German, that European Union does because they're like the center of Europe. And they're like one of the biggest leading economies. It's like Germany and France are like the two big players because the UK is no longer a part of it. I do think that these other countries... Their influence on what they do is, is is heavily like you know dictated by what Germany does, and what Germany does is dictated heavily by what the U.S. does. So it's all a connected game, and I just think that all these countries are relying a lot on the United States. And I do think that in some cases they should be they should have more protectionist type policies where they promote their own military and their own like you know stability themselves because America is not always gonna be there, and the fact is that. They don't want us there. They want our help whenever something bad happens, but then whenever nothing is happening, they're like why are we there? It's one of those things that these people that are from these countries are always always like angry about American intervention, but they always need American intervention when anything happens. So, if they want if they protected themselves, if they controlled their own borders, if they controlled some of their own issues, then America wouldn't need to do as much. And then you always have those libertarian people that are gonna be there in America that are gonna be like, why are we even involved? Well, we have to be because these other countries don't take any initiative to protect themselves. Literally somebody can go in and bomb them and they wouldn't be able to do anything without America's help because they wanna ban their military enterprises. Like the whole situation system is just strange. But I will say on a Republican and a Democratic consensus, that both parties in the United States are pretty similar on what they want to do with foreign policy. Trump sided Trump and other types of Republicans like Trump are moving away from wanting to protect everybody. But in the end of the day, they still protect everybody. That's just what they do.
0: Well, yeah, but in in terms of supporting Ukraine, I mean, they just don't have enough capital. I mean, so we provided, what, maybe like 50 billion plus dollars of aid at this point. You have to think Russia, for instance, their annual military budgets around 60 billion dollars a year. At least it was five or six years ago. So it's just uh, it's just crazy the amount of capital we're able to provide. Um, Europe and Germany certainly can't provide that amount. But I I agree they should long term be more self-sufficient, self-sustaining. I just don't think they're willing or ready to make that investment because, like you said, they can call out the U.S. whenever they want. But whenever they need help, they kind of know we're here to support them because the EU is really important to America as well. It's not simply a one-way relationship. We get benefits out of that relationship too. So and I it's, don't it's, think it's, it's going to change. It's just the PR backlash we'll if
1: we didn't do anything. That's the thing is like it's,
0: – But it's not just PR. I mean the EU is a yeah. strong economic – like they're – Yeah, 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 yeah. You know –
1: But see, the thing about any of these other organizations, same as many of these international organizations like the UN, they're all headquartered and primarily financed by the United States. EU EU is not, is headquartered in Europe. But the fact is that the reason for its existence heavily dates back to the United States, providing them with so much funding for their EU currency, for the um, euro and all these other agencies within the EU to be able to sustain themselves. I just think that... We have to put that into context. My point is that there's a lot of people in our country, as there are in other countries, that are so opposed to American intervention. They believe why are we even providing with these countries with aid? Why are we doing all this stuff with military exercises? Why are we going out of way to, you know, get ourselves involved in foreign borders? But the fact is that we have to because the system is the way that it is where all these other countries don't want to do enough to try to protect themselves i just think it's like one of those like big brother type arguments but in the end of the day the system is the way that it is because these other countries have not done anything to try to protect themselves because they're so reliant on us i i do i do think that should change it's not like even though i'm a neocon I do feel that America should take some steps back. These other countries should be more protecting of themselves. You shouldn't have to rely on America for everything that happens. Because then when something bad happens, you're going to blame us too. That's the problem is like you're expecting good things, but then when bad things happen, we're like, we're the scapegoat here. But we're the only reason why you're in that situation in the first place.
0: It's true, but let's not forget that we benefit greatly from this war in Ukraine in America because what's happened is we've been able to offload a lot of our old military equipment that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to use and would have had to maintain and we get to test new equipment that's going to be helpful for us in any future wars with let's say China so we actually stand to benefit a lot from the situation going on so while they should be more self-sufficient self-sustaining all that the fact that they're not is actually good for america and, and as much as it's a terrible thing to say the war industry is a huge huge business in america and because of that we're ultimately coming out on top from all this so i you can say you could say they yeah. should be more self-sufficient but it's not only because it helps america not having to support them because we actually benefit from this relationship as well
1: and it's the same thing as the banks as i was saying the financing part everything that america does we're the primary financers of all foreign aid activities that happen in any country around the world a lot of these building projects and infrastructure projects and any type of public works project that many of these countries do they take their you know they get the money from the imf and the world bank and much of that money comes from the united states so I just think that many much of that stuff is connected where America is benefiting. Sure, we talk about this big old debt ceiling and all this stuff, but on face value, all these countries are in debt to the United States for a lot of the things that we provided and done for these countries that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to do. And the problem is that China is equally our competitor on these issues because China is also doing whatever they can to boost their own influence. Because soft power wise, everything relies around the American dollar the lingua franca of the world is english most business transactions that happen happen due to some american influence and i do think that that will change one day and that's the issue why we need to do more to you know combat put ourselves ahead of china so wait did you see
0: that in saudi arabia one of the the leading oil people actually said that they might Consider switching from transacting only in the US dollar. They could. I thought that was interesting. I could post the article. They could, but
1: see, the problem there too is that there has to be somewhat of a regional currency that OPEC countries and the Middle Eastern countries can get behind. There has been some trade unions like MENA, the Middle East Middle East North African Trade Association, which has tried to create something like an EU, but all those talks have been heavily unsuccessful because there's so much internal divides within those countries. Like for the EU to happen, you had to have a world war where everyone literally wanted to blow themselves up in Europe. In the Middle East, that hasn't happened, and hopefully that never happens, but, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, Iran, and certain countries yeah. like that have even so Israel. much tension that it's like they have to create some kind of common consensus to get to that point. And even though they're all members of OPEC and that's their primary trade is with oil and natural gas, I do think that if that was to happen, it'd be beneficial to them. But if America's influence is not there, it would be harmful to us. That's just well, a
2: lot of the modern states exist right now because of the world wars that took that's place. That's true too, which originated in Europe. So like there, there is this you know feedback there. But I just wanted to say for the European side, I mean Pratik, you mentioned the debt ceiling that we're financing a lot of stuff. I think part of the reason why you know we're doing this and now saying oh look the Europeans are complaining and they need the United States is because that's how we've wanted it. You know the United States has wanted that for a while. You know, rebuilding the armies in Europe was seen as a surefire way to get right back into another World War or another conflict. Like the European countries have always been at war with each other. Like this is a very unusual time in history for them not to actively be fighting, especially in Western Europe. I mean, you think of like the English and the French, like they have the Hundred Years' War, the Forty Years' War. Like there's so many different wars that they've had over the years that like. This is like a weird time. This is an anomaly. This is not how it usually goes. Same thing with France and Germany. Same thing with a lot of these countries. For example, the, the old Austro-Hungarian Empire, you know, the rise and collapse due to the military and all the skirmishes going on in Europe. So I just think that this period in time, it's sort of like, you know, yes, because of Russia, you're able to unify a lot of these European countries who historically have just fought amongst themselves to say, look, we need to build a unified army and help, one, defend Ukraine, but make sure that we're secure against any sort of Russian aggression. But at the same time, I think the United States has really been pushing, I mean, to our benefit, saying like, look, Europe, you don't need to build up your own stuff. We'll take care of that for you. It'll be seen as a good thing, you know, add to peace in the region. And the United States can come in and act as this security guarantor for a lot of these conflicts, which, I mean... Again, we've talked about this in the past, but supremely ironic that in the 90s when Ukraine was really coming up and you had them choosing to sort of give up the nuclear missiles. I understand they didn't really have the launch codes, but when they gave those up, it was both Russia and the United States saying, Ukraine, neither of us will mess with you if you give up this nuclear stockpile that's sitting on your land. Again, granted, they they didn't have full authority to use it and all the rest of it. They were, you know, Soviet missiles, but... In any case, it's just like, I see why Europe is so concerned over this stuff, but I just don't think there's the drive because there hasn't been in the past couple decades for there to be any sort of continental army. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, maybe we start to have something. But I just don't think we're at that point. Maybe, and this is a maybe, and this of course is me just uh, coming up with smoke out of my rear end. But I think if the U.S. fails to increase the debt ceiling and if financing to Ukraine stops, then the Europeans will come together and start to take this more seriously. But if that doesn't happen and the United States continues, like Tyler said, $50 billion is an incredibly large amount of money to be providing. And I think as long as that keeps rolling, the Ukrainians don't really have to worry about financing. But should that stop with our debt ceiling, then the Europeans are really going to have to take charge and take more of a responsibility which granted they already are on energy and all that stuff i'm not saying to any european listeners that you've done nothing but i'm just saying it's going to seriously shift how serious that conversation is about actually building up the military i mean france has increased their spending germany's increased their spending they're all increasing their spending but you know how that's actually going to be applied remains to be seen
1: so we've we've talked a lot about military wars And many of these wars that we see nowadays are military wars. But what has happened for the United States in particular is that when we engage in war, we engage in cold wars, which are over different things. Before, it used to be nuclear missiles between us and Soviet Union. And now it's the chip war. That is going on between china and the us so nick you want to tell us about the chip war and what's going on
2: sure so president joe biden has pushed to increase semiconductor manufacturing in the united states but the race to outrun china is costing americans economically the world really relies on a lot of these semiconductors and computer chips that's why we had the chips act that passed recently and whether it's the phone in your hand the fridge in your kitchen to all of the electric cars military systems in terms of missiles Pretty much everything today, digitally and in terms of advanced economy, relies on these semiconductors, and they're really hard to make. Is the thing, especially the advanced ones. You need delicate machines, you know, rare minerals, um, and really massive, you know, technical know-how. You need really smart people that are highly educated working on building these things. And so, one of the issues now is that the United States and China are kind of battling each other for who's going to secure the supply of this. Um, Taiwan is a major source of some of these semiconductors supplying the entire world. And so it's sort of seen as a flashpoint where the United States is really trying to boost up and bolster a lot of our domestic supply. But a lot of it also is coming from Taiwan, which we're very close with. But the Chinese are also investing heavily in their own industry. So like Pratik was saying, it's this new type of Cold War that's defined by this computer chip. And the war, this tension between the United States and China... Has really been exacerbated by the pandemic, where it just screwed over all this trade and really disrupted supply lines where people aren't as confident anymore as they used to be and just sourcing things from Taiwan. So it's seen as a domestic imperative in terms of our own manufacturing capabilities. It's seen as a geopolitical and national security risk in terms of what's going on with China and Taiwan. And for the United States, some of the reality, as Business Insider points out, is that onshoring chip production has been a lot less glamorous. And these patriotic assumptions we have of outpacing China, you know, they're costing Americans a lot of money. And so, you know, Prateek, Tyler, how do you feel about the United States investing in our chip storage and the overall context of this competition between us and China?
1: I think um, in terms of the chips too, all of the cars, This is just not just electric as you said, it's every single car that we have manufactured uses a chip. And that's why when you go to any of these car dealerships, you can't find as many cars anymore because they can't produce as many cars because they don't have these chips. So the high MSRP prices that we pay when you go buy a car nowadays is because of this chip shortage. Just wanted to add that in. But I do think overall, This is my whole argument and it's always been my argument. America, as a realist person, America needs to be the most powerful country in the world. The way we do that is from our influence, from our trade, from our aid, all the stuff that we already do. And in terms of the military complex where we are providing more military equipment and are protecting the world, which we're also doing. Which some of that stuff is not, I'm not the most like theoretical, like philosophically it sounds great, but there's more exceptions to all that stuff too. But in terms of the chips, I feel that too, where America needs to be the leader in the chip manufacturing sector. If we're not the leader, somebody else is gonna be the leader. And if somebody else is the leader, then they're beating us on this front. If America wants to be the top dog, then if the future is chips, and everything that we do from the phones that we have to the computers that we use, to the TVs that we watch TV on, like if all that stuff is built around these chips, we need to be the leading manufacturer for these chips. No matter how much it costs for that to happen, we should do it because long-term it's going to be more sustainable for us instead of having to rely on other countries and other partners to be able to trade with us that, you know, supply. I think it's the same way I feel about with oil, where even if we argue about, you know, we should reduce the amount of fracking that we do and all this stuff. At the end of the day, I think America needs to be the leading front in all this stuff because if we're the leader, we're no longer reliant on everybody else. other people, on the other hand, are going to be reliant on you. And that's what's going to make America the supreme top dog. And that should be the goal of these political, you know, people that we put in power is that they want to make America stand out. They want to make America the best on the block. And that's why you put them there is to make America better than it was before. I just think that obviously we talk about this political jargon and all this stuff, but that's what both parties believe. It's not like the Republicans are any better than Democrats or Democrats are there fighting for certain things that Republicans aren't. In the end of the day, with certain few nicks and crannies, for the most part, both parties want to do whatever they can to make America look better. And that's the goal of the government. And I think in terms of chips, this this is the differentiator between us and our biggest rival, China. We need to step up our game so that we're doing better than China. That's just we, my thought. We
0: need to step up our game, but we don't necessarily have the manufacturing infrastructure or workforce to take that on. So while the investments of billions of dollars is great a lot of that's not going to be used optimally because we've got to train people. We need to make sure everything's set up properly, but yeah. long-term you're absolutely right. If it's the most important resource, if we could be self-sufficient on that regard, it would be big benefit to us. Part of that comes relations with countries like in Africa, for instance, that actually mine the materials that go into building this sort of stuff. So it doesn't even just have to do with manufacturing. It's about sourcing those rare minerals as well. Um, but You know, we've talked about Taiwan on this show for a long time. It's like that's where the war with China may take place because of this whole uh, chip industry and the fact that it's going to take us years to build up to even where Taiwan is at. Right now, so during that interim time, it's really important for us to maintain good relationships with Taiwan and make sure they're protected. So, we've been watching what's been going on on that front for a while. Um, and that those tensions are only going to be heating up because these chips basically are running the world right now. It is the new oil, and without it, you're not going to be. The top economy in the world so like you said prateek i agree with you i just anticipate a lot of challenges on the horizon yeah. for us trying to get into that space and making ourselves the world leader because you can't just snap a finger finger it's, and make it's a it happen term process yeah nick yeah
2: i i wish i knew more about the silicon supply chain that's used to make these semiconductors i do know that most of the production in the in the world happens in china so they already sort of have a leg up on that it's not like the united states is magically going to discover some new silicon you know deposits to start you know churning out these chips left and right i think if we had that i mean this stuff would be a no-brainer frankly i don't even think we would need a bill like this like one of the reasons why the natural gas industry was so successful was through technology innovation like hydraulic fracturing had been around for a while but when it was combined with horizontal drilling in the right locations, that really opened everything up. And so I think even though we kind of have the technical know-how, part of it is just we're constrained by where the resources actually are. And I don't know, I'm surprised, like, Prateek, as a Republican, I'm surprised for to not hear some of the free trade stuff that people used to really harp on in the Republican Party, the fiscally conservative party, to say, like, look, you know, other countries have a competitive advantage – in both mining and creating these things, why should American consumers and taxpayers have to pay so much more money just to onshore production here? If we can win through free trade, why don't we just rely on that instead of resorting to these isolationist, protectionist policies to sort of subsidize our own manufacturing? I get they would, they would also acknowledge the national security stuff, but I mean, a lot of the free traders are in the Republican Party and a lot of those people would say, hey, What's so wrong with just trading with the rest of the world? Why do we need this now, Pratik?
1: So in terms of free trade, I agree. You do have free trade, which allows you to have a comparative advantage on some things, which allows you to build a relationship with other countries and being able to meet where you can't, right? But at the same time, the difference with America compared to every other country in the world, apart from China, is that we have absolute um, stuff in all of our advantages. So we engage in trade, Because we can. We engage in trading with other countries because we want to help them develop. We want to help them grow. We want to help them sustain themselves. We trade with certain countries that we really don't even need to trade with just for the sake of trading with them. Because that's how you develop a relationship with one party or another. And that's some of the things where I've talked about where certain countries that do engage in atrocities towards their their population, we should refrain from trading as much with. That's the same logic. But at the same time, we are the biggest free trading country because we have relationships with everybody and we boost up everyone by our trade but at the same time, I think having an absolute advantage on everything is part of having a good reserve. This is where realism and liberalism all differs a little bit in terms of political philosophies. In terms of liberalism, where you want everything to be free, open, you know, free trade, that's great, but at the same time, whenever things happen, which you can't account for everything to happen, like let's say a pandemic type thing happens, You're going to have more restrictions on certain things that take place because you're not going to be able to anticipate the challenges that you will have with free trade. Now, you should still engage in free trade. That should be the policy of the day. That should be what you do. But long term wise, you should be investing and creating an absolute advantage on all things if you have the ability to do so. And unlike most of these other countries around the world, America does. We have everything here. Like there's nothing, no resource, no natural resource that America doesn't have. And the fact is that we don't mine all of our natural resources. We don't go frack everything because, you know, we don't have to, and we rely on somewhat free trade, but we have the ability to do that. And my point is that in some of these things like chips, we should be de- 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 developing longer term, like what Tyler was saying in the long-term context, so that we do have that absolute advantage one day. So that we don't have to rely on Taiwan. Instead, these other countries can come to us if we need to, because we're already protecting the whole world anyway as it is from our last conversation. So I just think that it's good to have absolute advantages. You need to just develop your free trade and keep that the way it is. but in certain times of crises, when certain things happen, you don't want to be the one that's on the loose end of the bag. You want to be the one that is going to be able to lead everybody through the situation because that's what's going to develop your influence long term. And that's what America has the ability to do. Other countries that have the ability to do that are China and Russia. And the issues with Russia are paramount. They got all kinds of other problems. But in terms of natural resources and energy, they do have much more of an advantage than most of the other countries around the world. The problem is that their government structure and the people that are in government are not democratic and they don't think the same way that, you know, people that are in America do or people that in China do think about these same things.
0: Yeah, and for me it's the national security threat as you had mentioned. I mean, if they could just hold the supply of pretty much the most valuable resource in the world at that point that's a huge issue especially if you're battling to be the hegemon because at some point it also becomes an ideological warfare and maybe free traders wouldn't see it this way but i do it's like what values are you trying to protect and in doing this it may benefit you should benefit you short term but in the long term if they're able to maintain dominance from this from having that position of power being able to control it i don't necessarily see that as a good thing so that would be my argument against those free traders
2: no oh, good points and One thing I wanted to just add for flavor, and feel free to disagree with this because, you know, maybe this isn't entirely accurate in terms of the Republican caucuses that exist, but Prateek, for example, you know, when I think of free trade, I just think of it as being dead. Like, it was dying, and then Trump came along and put the nail in the coffin, and now no one takes it seriously. Like, he ran so much on, you know, we need American jobs, we need American manufacturing, we cannot, you know, outsource any of our production. You know, this is like life or death to a lot of people. And, you know, you've seen your lives getting worse. I'm going to bring manufacturing and jobs back to this country. That's what I'm running on. And in terms of free trade agreements, he would say he renegotiated them and they were going to be better than ever. But fundamentally, he basically said, like, a lot of these agreements are not fair to Americans. And the rest of the Republican Party really went along with him. So I'm just wondering, like, who are the free traders that are even left at this point? Like, is there a single party?
1: So free trade is weird because... Both sides are kind of split on this issue. Most genuine Republicans that you will find are free traders, but they get what Trump is saying. And I think when it comes to free trade, it's a little bit complex. So free trade has always existed. We're always going to be engaging in free trade with other countries, but the concept around free is the question mark. The issue is that in terms of America, before Trump came into office, we're one of the only countries around the world, if not the only country, did not charge tariffs on other countries. That's just what America did. Now, the challenges that can come with that is that certain countries may take advantage of you. Now, obviously, whenever Trump got elected in the Trump narrative, they kind of hyped it up to be a much bigger and worse extent than it was. Tariffs are not, like most Republicans that you will talk to are not gonna be like, yeah, I'm in support of tariffs, but that's kind of what the Trump narrative ran on. The issue came to be is that this was the Democratic talking point when it dealt with tariffs and when it dealt with being against the whole free trade notion, which kind of got convoluted because Republicans and Democrats are now all split on the issue. So it's no longer an issue that is a big issue because everyone is split on it. Well, it's not well defined
0: right now politically. Like that division isn't very clear, right?
1: And I think that the whole free trade point, though, will always exist for the U.S. because America literally created a bunch of free trading nations. Like, that's what, after World War II, that's what we did. Like, most countries before us, whenever you win a war, you take over that land. America broke that precedent because we created self-governing nations. And when you created self-governing nations they would trade with us and we would trade with them back and we didn't expect to tax and we didn't provide them a tax whenever they traded with us. Hence, that made all these countries rely on us with trade. Now, over time, that all changed basically the main stepping stone to all that change came with China because China decided to be ended up becoming one of the main like players in the free trade game because most of the products that we buy and you know that 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 are manufactured come from China so whenever that took place it changed the whole game and that all happened after the 1970s whenever we opened up China so I just think that that was a big, you know, stepping stone to that change, but I think the overall trade concept that's always going going to exist. We can't really rely live without it. And everything that we do in terms of America in the end of the day, whether it's ran by a Republican or Democrat, it revolves around that trade. The question is, is it free trade or is it trade? But at that point, it really doesn't matter that much. If you charge them a 2% or 3% tax, that's not going to change whether you trade with the country or not. The logistical thinking of Trump was similar to what Democrats thought about blue-collar workers in the past on, you know, how much trade influences what things are bought here. But overall, the fact is that with free trade, as a Republican would tell you, is that it benefits you more longer term than it does hurt you. And you're going to have certain industries that get impacted by free trade, but overall you're going to have new industries that emerge because of free trade. So it's one of those that philosophically, the answer is different from politically on how it's taken place, but it's no longer a political question mark anymore because Republicans and Democrats are all on the fence on this issue.
0: So moving on from the chip wars to something that happened domestically, something we actually covered, uh, the Monterey Park mass shooting. Uh, Nick, please provide an update. So we, we
2: found that at least 20 people have been shot, 10 fatally, at a Lunar New Year celebration in the Los Angeles suburb of Monterey Park when a gunman opened fire inside a crowded dance studio, authorities say. They're reporting that it may not have been an assault rifle. We still do not know the weapon that was used. We still do not know who the suspect was. They remain at large the perpetrator. But we do know that it was a man. That's all the information we have now. Captain Andrew Meyer of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department said that the injured were in critical condition while others were reported as stable. Monterey Park had been hosting the Monterey Park Lunar New Year Festival this weekend, marking the beginning of the Chinese lunar calendar. They had paused celebrations over the past couple years because of COVID, and so this was sort of the grand reopening, which usually sees about 100,000 people coming to the suburb of about 60,000 people. So this is a big deal for the community. This is a big celebration, and to have this many people murdered um, during that celebration... Um, is really disturbing. And another thing we're seeing is that um, in light of this occurring, they're canceling the celebration that was planned for Sunday evening tonight, as of the time of us recording this. Um, So all the revelers who wanted to come out and celebrate the New Year, which, by the way, isn't just Chinese. It also extends to Vietnamese um, and others who celebrate the Lunar New Year. uh, They will now no longer be able to do so. Peacefully, and the events have been canceled for tonight, which uh, is really, really quite sad. Pratik, Tyler, thoughts on this?
1: I think it's sad. Um, It's good that President Biden and the FBI have joined the investigation. So it says that President Biden was briefed on the shooting, according to the White House, and the FBI has joined the investigation. It's a bigger story than, you know, it's, it's a bigger story than most shootings are. It's a big deal. And I think that they're giving you the same level of credence that they should. And we should get to the bottom of this to prevent other shootings like this from happening on a mass scale.
0: Final thoughts. I mean, it's obviously a very sad situation. We, we hate seeing this. It always ends up coming in back into a gun debate that we talk about. We go through the news cycle of talking about the gun debate. Then it goes away after a few weeks, so on and so forth. Um, Hopefully they're able to find the victim. Like you said, Prateek, it's good that uh, the FBI and Joe Biden have actually taken note of this as it's a very serious situation. So we'll be providing updates on that in the future. Hopefully um, they're able to catch him. So, hey, with that, um, it is episode 114 of Politicana, uh, maybe 115 as well, depending. Um, Thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Take care.